As a long-time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. So we have a new house guest, and Willie's freaking out about it a little bit. Uh, please excuse any roofing. You need to stop. We're fostering a guinea pig, is, is what Kat is saying, and Willie will have none of it. Willie, settle down. All right, so I went down to pick up the box of oddities mail and just received a pile of debris. <laughs> um, apparently, the United States Post Office destroyed one of our packages that somebody had sent us. Listen, that sounds so aggressive. They did not destroy one of the packages. One of the packages didn't make it to us, and they left us a nice note and said... Hey, we're sorry, your package was damaged. So we don't know what dear, was sent to us. Dear valued customer, the enclosed has been damaged in handling in the U.S. Postal Service. We recognize that your mail is important to you, and you have every right to expect that it's delivered intact and in good condition. Then it gives you us like uh, like on our website to go to, and we have to describe the contents. But really. When it says that it was damaged, the enclosed has been damaged, what we received was the address. It's just a piece of paper. Yeah, it looks like maybe the package was wrapped in brown paper and it's got our address on it and a return address. And that's it. That's all we have is a chunk of brown paper with two addresses on it. We do have the return address, though. Leaf. Leaf. I've heard it pronounced both ways. Either way, thank you for sending us something. We don't know what it is. Yeah. But um, the Postal Service did say they would look for it, but we'd have to tell them what's inside, and we don't know. Yeah. So, cool. Yeah, thank you, Leif. We, we appreciate you. We appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you so much, and uh, we'll let you know if we can locate it. I'm we, sorry. I feel really bad. Like, I do, too. Like it's my fault somehow. One piece of communication that we did receive was a, uh, an audio message from one of you freaks. And we love getting audio messages. So I don't know if you can hear it, but in the background, I am listening to you. I have for you an egg. And I was just thinking you have Richard Cheese uh, doing your intro at the Zanies. 
comedy nightclub, I think you should have him do the What You Got For Me that Jethro does. It'd be like, what you got for me. Also, while listening to this episode, you said, remove all the vowels. Well, Kat said, I should say, I'm sorry. I thought she said, remove all the vowels. <laughs> that was from uh, Sebastian. Yeah, just yeah. a just a fun little message, and yeah. I enjoyed it thoroughly, especially the at the end. We love hearing from you guys. I think you go first this episode. Oh, good. Yay. Because mine's sad. Is it sad? It's a little dark, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, okay. Today I'm going to talk about the Hopetown Quarry case. So it's 1913. Okay. And two farmers are walking near a quarry outside of Edinburgh, Scotland. And they find him floating in the water two... Tiny little bodies. As in babies? Well, no, children. Okay, children. Um, they were tied together, and the bodies were very waterlogged. Uh, authorities could barely confirm that they were human. Oh, no. Okay, so the first thing that the examiners noticed was the presence of adipocere, which is also known as corpse wax. Oh, yeah. Grave wax. It's also called mortuary wax. Sure. It is a wax-like organic substance that is formed from the fat in human tissue. It's like a like a soapy consistency, I've read. Yes, exactly. And it's part of the putrefaction process, but it has to happen like in very specific uh, conditions mm-hmm. in order for that to form. It was isn't there a corpse at the Mütter Museum? That is all soap, essentially just turned into Oh, I wax. vaguely remember that. Yes, yes. Yeah. That is really strange. It is strange. And fascinating. I couldn't take my eyes off of it. Yeah. Um, adipocere in bodies takes months to form, and it's, it happens when it's exposed to water. Because of the formation of this substance... The body parts, or certain body parts, had been really well preserved. It was almost like they were encased. Mm. And one of the the body parts that was well preserved was the stomach. Um, And so the examiners used that to go through and determine that the boys, they were discovered to be boys, had eaten about an hour before they passed away. Was it determined about what age these, these kids were? Um, four and six. Oh my God. Of course, we don't know that until we find out who they were and I'm getting there. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm just trying to paint a mental picture for myself. It's not something you want to paint. I'm just saying it's upsetting. It it is very upsetting. So the boys had eaten about an hour before their deaths and the meal had been of vegetables known to be grown locally. So that led the investigators, including a man named Smith, so that narrows it down yep. um, to believe that they had been in the quarry between 18 and 24 months. They were apparently covered in this corpse wax, but also still very recognizable as brothers. Oh, that must have been really disturbing to find. I would imagine. Uh, given the seasonal nature of the vegetables that they found in their bellies, uh, Smith figured that the kids had died at the end of 1911. Most importantly, there was some indication on one of the children's shirts that the shirt had come from the Dysart Poorhouse. 
So they were able to track down a lady who worked at the poorhouse who confirmed that she had fed John and William Higgins on the last day that they were seen in their local village in November of 1911. So this was over a year. Over be- a year. Before they discovered the bodies. Mm-hmm. Wow. So I was doing a little bit of research about the poor houses of Scotland. And most typically when you are reading about poor houses, it is a an establishment made for low-income people at that time who didn't have uh, lodging to live at, but in order to live there, you had to work. It was a workhouse. It was, it, yeah, yeah, it was essentially, it was a way for people to receive government assistance and and work for yeah, it. They, they called it a, a poor farm as well. Right. So in this case, it looks like the uh, quote unquote foster mother of these two boys was part of the poor house. And their father, Patrick Higgins, had left them at the poorhouse because he couldn't afford to Hmm. feed them. Wow. So the police soon eyed Patrick Higgins. And this uh, part is according to the dailyrecord.uk. Patrick Higgins apparently had not been very good at telling the same story to multiple people. Um, So he had told neighbors that the kids had gone to visit their grandmother. Okay. He had said that they went back to the poor house. He had said that, you know, various stories. Either way, he was arrested and put in jail for murdering his sons, William, who was six, and John, who was four. Those who knew Patrick Higgins were shocked. Um, he had been known as a pretty decent guy, hmm. uh, but his wife had died the year before. This all went down. And since then, he'd become a really heavy drinker and was making uh, not enough money and was making some really poor choices. And I guess the stress of feeding the kids became too much, so he left them at the poorhouse. So the community knew that things were not right with this family. At one point, someone had actually reported Patrick Higgins to the police, and he was charged with child neglect. And the boys were taken into care and placed with a woman. But that back then, even in a situation like that, the parent was expected to pay for the foster parent to care for their children. And Patrick Higgins didn't have the money to pay that foster parent to care for his children. If he had had that money, he probably would have cared for his children. Or drank it up. That's possible, too. We don't know. Um, It appears as though, from the stories that, that I read... And from the fact that he had served in the military and when he was out of the military had some uh, repeated issues with headaches and uh, nightmares, etc. It seemed like he might have had a lot going on and a lot of stresses and was self-medicating. Maybe a little post-traumatic stress. Very possible. Yeah. So Higgins fell behind with the payments to the foster parent and she delivered them back to him, basically. So it's a rainy night in November 1911, and Higgins is seen walking with the boys toward the quarry. Um, no one really paid attention until after those those bodies were discovered. Okay, so he was seen going to the quarry yes. with them. Okay, all right, proceed. While he was there, he tied the boys together and threw them into the quarry. Oh my God. Um, it said that the children had been assaulted beforehand and so i don't know if he 
like attacked them so that they weren't conscious when he threw them into the quarry or if they were conscious when he threw them into the quarry when he was witnessed bringing the boys there Mm -hmm. it probably doesn't say but i'm wondering if uh the boys seem to be going willingly like hey let's go for a walk with dad i don't know that almost makes me more sad to think about yeah no no shit that's awful and the only thing that i can hope is that they were already unconscious when he threw them into Mm -hmm. the river tied or i'm sorry the quarry Um, so Patrick Higgins stands trial for the murder of his two sons in September 1913. Higgins lawyer was trying to say that he had uh, basically temporary insanity. And they they referred to that as diminished responsibility. And the judge, Lord Johnston, told the jury that he, quote, understood irresponsibility, but could not understand limited responsibility. I desire very humbly to enter my protest against this doctrine being accepted as part of criminal law and practice of Scotland until the matter is more deliberately dealt with by a larger court. So basically what he was saying was, I get that you can be insane, but I don't get that you can be temporarily insane. Wow. And this is 1913. Yeah, this is a... He's taken a a strong stance. He is. So Patrick Higgins was found guilty, not reprieved, and was hanged on Wednesday, October 1st, 1913. The uh, jury unanimously found him guilty, but they did take a most unusual step. They felt some sympathy for him and asked for mercy. Uh, The judge sympathized, but was compelled to sentence him to death, and... During this time, in this part of the world, and probably others, uh, when a judge was sentencing someone to death, they would don the black cap, which uh, wasn't actually a cap so much, but... um, Like a a jaunty fedora? No, more like a... The shape reminds me of a... uh, like a hot pot holder, like a... Pot holder? Yeah, it's like the shape of a pot holder. (laughs) But it's black, and they just wear it with one of the corners facing uh, over their forehead. Wouldn't that be weird as if that tradition started by some crazy judge who had an excess amount of potholders? Mm. You know what? This will be funny. I'm going to do this. And maybe there's still places where they do that. I don't know. Could be. The judge was not finished, though. When he was done issuing the sentence, he did point out the lack of professionalism to those who had been paid to protect the children. And not just those that had been paid to protect the children, but the town. We, William and John, he said, would have still been alive if those officials had done their jobs when the boys were given up by the foster parent. And people in Scotland were horrified that this man had killed his kids. But they were also kind of beginning to see all three of them as victims because of the circumstances that this family was in. It led to, in some people's eyes, unnecessary situations that added stress. And when you bring in alcohol to self-medicate injuries and, you know, it there was a an interesting feel when outside the jail people gathered at his execution as they did often for execution sure it was a form of entertainment but this was a much larger crowd and it was not celebratory which usually it Ooh. was usually there was a kind of jovial celebratory nature and in this case it was very quiet very somber 
prayer vigils were being held. And when the black flag was hoisted, telling the world that Higgins was dead, no one cheered. Instead, people were weeping and people were praying. Wow. It was like they saw that it was a failure rather than like it was a the community's failure rather than just a guy murdered his kids. It was rough. And I I I <laughs> there are zero circumstances where I think it's OK to tie your kids together and throw them in a quarry. No, I've never once advocated for that. Nope. Um, but I can I can kind of see how the community had this sense of feeling responsible well, as a whole. It sounds to me like it was uh, a bit of an awakening for the community. Hey, wait a minute. Maybe there was something more we could have done. Right. Right. Huh, interesting. And because because he had shown signs that there was something wrong, because he was not able to work and there was obviously something going on there, uh, because the people at the poorhouse didn't keep the kids safe, because community members saw them walking to the quarry, there, you know, there's all these things that I think really did lend to, shit, maybe we should be doing something differently. Hmm. Um, at the same time, don't forget... This man murdered his children. Yeah, don't don't tie your kids together, knock them in a head, and throw them in a quarry. Never okay. No. All right, so in 2008, uh, BBC News reported that a relative of the boys... Now, this is 2008. Almost 100 years... That's right. ...after their death. A relative of the boys had called for the return of their body parts... Apparently, those body parts had been taken by the two pathologists who had been working on the case, Sir Sidney Smith and Harvey Littlejohn, and they were held at the Edinburgh University. Now, in many circumstances, you might say, I'd like those body parts back. Uh, most, so, most circumstances. Right? Sure. Yeah. Um, and these had been used for science. Uh, lots of people had learned because of the Oedipusier. I hope I pronounced that right. A lot of people have been able to view something that they weren't able to view otherwise and learn from it. Sure. Okay, fine. Yeah, right. However, these two men had not retained these children's body parts in an honorable way. One of them had distracted the attention of police officers present at the mortuary. The other one stole body parts out of the mortuary, including heads, no, no. Internal organs no. and half of the limbs. No. He then uh, screwed down the top of the coffin so that Ugh. they wouldn't notice that the body parts had been parceled up and put into packaging. <clears throat> what? No, I don't know. Why? Yeah. Uh, they then put the uh, bits into a crowded carriage on a luggage rack on a hot day, uh, so much so that the pair feared that the smell would start to, uh, you know, and people would notice that they had stolen body parts right, we don't want in that. their bags. Wow. Anyway, a uh, hundred years after that whole shebang, after being uh, used at the university for lectures and classrooms and such, the body parts were cremated and returned to an American family member who stated she intended to scatter them in Scotland. And that is the Hopetown Corey case. So she got the, the body parts and she did follow through and scatter them about? 
body parts were cremated mm-hmm. and they were returned to her and I she see. intends to scatter okay. them in Scotland. Does she know for a fact that those ashes are the body parts? I don't think that you ever can. <sighs> Why would you say that? What if she's listening? Now she has questions. I'm sorry. <laughs> You know, it's disrespectful enough to steal somebody's body parts when they're a full-grown adult. But to me, stealing the body parts of a child seems far more heinous. Is that is that just me? No, I would agree with that entirely. My God. Yeah. So, like I said, I'm glad I went first because that was kind of a bummer, huh? Yeah. Well, good news. Um, my story is not any better. Oh, no. Actually, mine borders more on gross. Oh, okay. <laughs> we'll get no, to that. I can handle with gross all day long. Okay. Yeah, not sad, just gross. Cool. All right, cool, we'll cool, get to cool, that. Cool, 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 just a minute. And now, that thing in the middle. Today on The Thing in the Middle, non human electoral candidates. Number five. Dustin the Turkey, a popular Irish television puppet, received thousands of votes in the Republic of Ireland's 1997 presidential election. I love it when puppets are on the ballot. (laughs) Number four, Ed the Sock, a sock puppet, attempted to run for the Fed Up Party during the Canadian federal election in 2011. Number three, Fire Hydrant ran for electoral... (laughs) I'm sorry, okay. Number three, Fire Hydrant ran for election multiple times from 2004 to 2009 at the University of British Columbia, including a position on the Board of Governors. Crawfish B. Crawfish is a crawfish from Louisiana. Crawfish's campaign for the United States presidency began on Facebook on a page titled, Can This Crawfish Get More Supporters Than Bobby Jindal? And number one, in 1967, an Ecuadorian foot powder company advertised its product as a mayoral candidate in the town of Picosa. Surprisingly, the foot powder won by a clear majority. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids, and they live about 3,000 miles away, and my daughter is expecting a child, and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life, Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura frames, and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code oddities at checkout. And you will save. Thanks, Aura Frames, for bringing my family a little bit closer. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, If you put your pants on, I'll give you some Fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something, if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. 
Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores, and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? (sighs) Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parenting kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. If you laid all our boxes of oddities end-to-end, you'd have, well, a lot of open boxes. You know, all laid end-to-end. This is the Box of Oddities. All right, I want to talk a little bit about uh, Tomb Sweeping Day, the Kingming Festival. It's it's like the Chinese Memorial Day. Okay. Or Ancestors Day. It's a traditional Chinese festival, according to Wikipedia, observed by the Han Chinese of uh, China, Taiwan, Hong Kong, Malaysia, Singapore, Indonesia, and Thailand. Now, it falls on the first day of the fifth solar term of the traditional Chinese uh, lunar solar calendar. Uh, And that makes it about the 15th day after spring equinox, or the 4th or 5th of April every given year. The Tomb Sweeping Festival uh, commemorates the life of the departed in an elaborate set of rituals that's uh, often mistranslated here in the West as uh, ancestral worship, but that's really not the case. It's a Confucian form of posthumous respect to your dead ancestors. Okay, that sounds reasonable. The young and old alike will kneel down to offer prayers before tombstones of their ancestors. Uh, They will burn uh, incense, Also, silver-leafed paper, called uh, Joss paper, sweep the tombs. They'll offer food. They bring food and tea. I'm sorry to interrupt, but this sounds very much like uh, Dia de los Muertos. Yes, it's it's very similar to that. Okay. They'll bring chopsticks or libations in memory of the uh, ancestors. Depending upon the religion of the observers, some pray to a higher deity to honor their ancestors, while others pray directly to the ancestral spirits. And that's why some people in the West say, oh, it's ancestor worship. Okay. They have a long tradition in Asia, especially among the imperiality uh, who legislated these rituals into a national religion. Okay. Well, you said they bring libations sometimes. I can't tell you how many times, especially like TV and movies. It's kind of a trope, actually, where someone brings like a bottle of Jim Beam to Mm -hmm. the the graves, the graveyard. Sure. Well, when I was a kid, we used to get drunk in the graveyard all the time. Oh, sure. (laughs) I don't think that's for the same reason. No, 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 it was it was not. 
So they go to the graveyards and they pray to their ancestors or to a higher deity about their ancestors. They offer food, Mm -hmm. libations, um, gifts, and then they will clean the grave sites, which is where you get the term... Grave sweeping. Yeah, tomb sweeping festival. And then afterwards, they get together and have a big giant tug of war celebration. Okay. Yeah, it's a a traditional thing. I like it. I love a tug of war. I've always found that that's something that I felt uh, good at. And I think it's because I've got very strong legs. Yeah, yeah. Um, and also, um, I I like to pull ropes very much. Yes, you do. The Qingming Festival is also part of a spiritual and religious practice in China. For example, Buddhism teaches that those who die with guilt are not allowed to eat in the afterlife, oh. except during the Qingming Festival when ancestors will bring them food. Okay. And if they don't bring them food, the uh, spirits get hangry. Oh, yeah, they can get they can get a little pissed if you don't bring them something to eat. I get it. You know, after... I get a little shaky, a little pissy. Sure. Yeah. Well, who wouldn't? I mean, come on. Well, this past tomb sweeping festival, April fifth, just a few weeks ago, as of the recording, twenty nineteen of this uh, this podcast, a young Taiwanese woman, twenty nine years old, only identified as a Ms. He was at her ancestors' gravesite, and she was, you know, doing what what they do during this time period. Sure, snacking. She, sure, libationing. Right, sweeping. She was uh, kneeling in front of the grave, performing the ritual and the, and the prayers. And as she was doing that, unexpectedly, a mysterious gust of wind hit her. Just came out of nowhere. Just as she was praying to her ancestors kind of took her by surprise because it was a calm day so she leaves the graveyard and she starts to feel a stinging in her eye and she's concerned about it you know i I, maybe the wind blew something in my eye Mm -hmm. and so she tries to wash the eye out does the best that she can yet even though it allowed some temporary relief the irritation and the stinging got worse throughout the evening her eyes swelled up. She couldn't see. It almost blinded her. She had no idea what was going on. She was starting to weep profusely. She just could not control the, uh, the tears coming from her uh, eyes. Mm-hmm. And she thought it had something to do with that mysterious gust of wind at the graveyard earlier in the day while sure. she was performing the rituals of the uh, tomb sweeping festival. So the next day she goes to the hospital. Thank you. This was just a couple of uh, weeks ago. She goes to the hospital, the Taiwan Funyan University Hospital. One of them teaching hospitals. It's a teaching hospital. She uh, reported uh, with uh, a very intense stinging pain, and she said, I was constantly shedding tears. There was a lot of secretion, and she could not seem to wash the foreign object, whatever it was, out of her eye. Okay. Should we do some sort of trigger warning? Like, hey, if eye stuff freaks you out... You shouldn't be listening to this. Yeah, this is probably... Should we have done that about 15 minutes ago? Well, uh, it's a little too late for that now. (laughs) So a Dr. Hong took her into the examination room, and he used a microscope to look in her eye to uh, see if he could see the irritant in there. He also saw like an inflamed cornea, and that, of course, can potentially lead to, to blindness. So he was concerned about that. So he's looking for this foreign object that may have blown into her eye uh, at the graveyard. 
And the first thing he sees in the corner of her eye, like the tear duct, Mm -hmm. little legs, little insect legs in her eye tear duct. He cleaned out the eye the best that he could. Uh Uh-huh. Of all the legs? Well, he couldn't get the legs out at first. They wouldn't irrigate. He couldn't just wash them out. So he had to go in and physically remove not one, not two, but four bees. Bees? Bees. Little tiny bees had blown into her eye and decided, hey, we're just going to hang out here for a little bit. She had four bees in her eyes. Well, eyes are kind of gummy. Did they get stuck in there? Because I can't imagine bees want to live in your eyeball. These ones did. They did? They are a a species of bee called sweat bees. And they want to live in eyeballs? Well, not necessarily, but all bees are attracted to sweetness and flowers and pollen. These bees are attracted to those things, but also are attracted to salt. Oh. And occasionally they will land on uh, on people, mostly cattle and things like that, to collect perspiration because of the salty nature of the perspiration. These bees had blown into her eye, and of course her eye started watering. Right. And tears contain salty a lot, bits. Salty and, and a lot of protein, and this is a great environment for them. Bees love eyeballs. Well, these four did. Four! You want to see a they picture? They have been so tiny. They were tiny. Let me show you a picture. Tiny eyeball bees. Oh, my God. And she didn't notice that? Because those are, I mean, those are bees. Yeah. That's after they pulled them out. Yeah. Right. But isn't that her cornea? Yeah. I mean, her yeah. iris? That is her iris, yes. So I think that he had pulled them out and just laid them there. Oh, well, why? That's I, a horrible idea. Well, maybe to get, uh, I don't know, some sort of a a great photo? perspective. Oh, sure. Yeah. No, those are much larger bees than I expected. (laughs) I thought there was going to be like, because you said he used a microscope. So I expected it to be like tiny bees, but those are like bees. They had gotten up inside, right? you see. And and so only their legs were, of one of them were were available. In her eye. In her eye. According to a, a news story on this in CNN, craving salt, the bees had been feeding off of her tears. Sure. The doctor said at uh, the news conference, which was, again, just a week or two ago, he described the odd mo- medical diagnosis as a world first. Oh. The insects had made a new home inside the woman's eyelid and until they were, of course, successfully removed. Normally, what they'll do is they'll just land on your skin and lick up the perspiration. And, and then move on with their day. Yeah. He said, I saw something that looked like insect legs, so I pulled them out under a microscope slowly and one at a time without damaging their bodies. This according to Business Insider Singapore. Now that just, the whole idea of it just grosses me out to the extreme. But they say that Ms. He was very fortunate because of the fact that she was wearing contact lenses. Mm -hmm. She wasn't rubbing her eyes. Even though it was stinging and irritating, she wasn't rubbing her uh, her eyes. If she had, then it could have the bees could have stung her eyeball, 
And, oh, I didn't even think about that. And rendered her blind. Right. As well as create a serious infection, which could have led to some some pretty serious consequences. Now, would they have built a nest in there? Well, that's what I was wondering. It was like all of a sudden you wake up in the morning and there's a little hornet's nest in the corner of your eye. Oh, God, that's so upsetting. Oh, my God. That's so upsetting. Very upsetting. In just one day, though, just a matter of hours, her eyesight in that eye, she had 20-20 vision, Mm -hmm. but it had been reduced to 2200 vision. Wow. Because of the uh, infection that was brewing in there and uh, the swelling of the the eyeball. We may have talked about my my sister having her corneas replaced right. a couple of years ago. I, maybe not. I, but any, it's not the point. Um, I have spent a great deal of time in various eye doctors' offices slash eye surgery establishments, and um, the consensus is: don't let bees live in your eyes. Yeah, that's probably the uh, the medical consensus overall. <laughs> I would think. <laughs> No, oh, it's awful. Here's the good news, and this will make you happy. The woman is making a full recovery. Right, fine. She's doing great, and the bees survived, and they released them. Oh, that's wonderful. Oh, I w- I that doctor did such a good job. Yeah, I would have just killed the bees. I, you know, I know that makes you angry, but if there were bees in my eyes, I would kill them. Well, I mean, she... The bees weren't in the doctor's eyes. The doctor's the one who took them out. That's true. That's true. So he didn't have that weird vengeful thing against bees. I have a bee vendetta. Well, just eye bees. Just eye bees? Just eye bees. I don't want no bees in my eye. I mean, I get that, but they were just trying to do their thing. So as gross as it is to think that there are bees in this woman's eyes, or were, nature can get much worse Here's an article from The Atlantic that talked about that particular story. And they said, uh, you know, sweat bees, yeah, okay, that was gross. That was a once in a million plus chance of happening. It was a freak accident. Experts say, don't worry, bees aren't going to like build a nest in your eyes. However. It's far more likely that these will. I knew it. Eyelash mites. Oh, yeah. I was just learning about this. They hang out on, you know, your follicles and they feed on secretions from your pores and they come out at night to mate on your eyes. The Atlantic says, it's like Whoville. (laughs) (laughs) There was an episode of Brooklyn Nine-Nine not long ago where Captain Holt mentioned to Terry Crews' character that about the mites that live on your eyelashes and your eyebrows and such and so he <laughs> he shaved off his eyebrows yeah <laughs> and then bleached all of his facial hair <laughs> the writing on that show is amazing i'm sorry if you haven't watched brooklyn 99 please watch it it's so fun it's not like television that's going to change your life but it is great escapism and it's so much fun and it's so well written so along with bees and uh and mites Ticks have been known to attach yeah. themselves to your eyes. Ugh. Normally, they're just they're looking for blood, but in a few recorded cases, ticks have climbed aboard to drink your delicious salty tears. Ticks are really gross. Oh, they're the worst. I Ugh. I can't say I care for that well, idea. At well, they're all. not the worst. I'm getting to that, but it's pretty oh, bad. Good. Oh, yeah. good. Yeah, that reminds me of that episode of House <laughs> where. <laughs> <Jesus>. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. I okay, do. go ahead. All right. Pubic lice. Oh, 
In 2016, a 41-year-old Indian woman living in an overcrowded New, uh, D- New Delhi neighborhood needed treatment when pubic lice migrated to her eyes. What? Yeah, they're more common in impoverished areas where public health conditions make hygiene difficult or inaccessible. And their spread to facial areas is rare, but not unheard of. In this woman's case, she lived with her discomfort for three months before seeking help, at which point the doctors removed at least three lice and multiple eggs from one eye alone. Gross. That's crabs. It's crabs in your eye. It's eye crab. There's a whole list of them, but I'm going to end with this one. While fishing in Alaska three years ago, a woman from Oregon named Abby Beckley thought an eyelash had fallen into her eye. Mm. But when she was able to get to a mirror that evening, she found nothing. Digging around desperately after five days of this discomfort. And you know how uncomfortable it is when you get an eyelash in there. It's like, I can't even sleep. She yanked out a small translucent worm still writhing around on her finger. It was underneath of her eyelid. Becky had become the first ever human campground for a parasitic worm known as Thiazola glucosa, commonly seen in cattle eyes, but never in humans' eyes. They had multiplied. After 20 days and two hospital visits, Becky reportedly pulled a total of 14 worms out of her eye. Eye worms. See, that's as soon as there's eye issues, I'm like, we're going to the doctor. Yeah. I'm not messing around with this. I don't I don't hesitate at all. No. And I mean that's that just goes to show you you shouldn't fish. <laughs> yep, there you go. Fishing can lead to eye worms. <laughs> the end. Oh, that's rough. That is rough. I'm gonna stop right there before I retch because I, I know I ratcheted it up as we went along. What's really interesting is we, um, I say we have a coworker, but I don't work there anymore. But a place where you and I both worked, you still work. Uh, we have a coworker who is just the most eye phobic that I've ever seen. Oh, yeah. A you, human person. You just mentioned eyes. He'll go, ah, and yeah. run out of the room. Like he doesn't even want to be reminded that he has eyes. Right. And then we have another coworker. Um, who is so upset by the by worms that she doesn't even like the word. She mm. calls it the W word. The W word, yeah. So now you've discussed <laughs> I worms, and uh, probably you're not going to be let inside that building again. I probably won't be, no. I, I barely am now. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, that's what I have for you. Did want to briefly mention that uh, tickets to our live shows We'll go on sale this week. Yeah, that's exciting and all. This is all going to be Halloween week. We're going to do a Halloween week mini tour. At this point, we're going to be at the Comedy Zone in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina on the 29th of October. And then uh, Zany's Comedy Nightclub back in Nashville. So excited to be heading back. And I've never been to Charlotte before. So this is super jazz horrific for me. Um, And then we have a third uh, that we are eyeing. And we'll talk about that if we get closer yeah, and yeah, you know yeah whatever but in the meantime uh tickets will go on sale this week you can check our website theboxofoddities.com when they are available you will be able to find the link there yeah we'll also let you know on the social meds and all that business all that also wanted to just take a moment it's not something that we talked about talking about but i hope that you're okay with this if i'm not i'll just cut it out okay we this week hit three million downloads yeah, that's a, that's a big milestone. It's <sighs> three million downloads. 
Holy crap. That number doesn't even make sense to me. And we've discussed before that most don't. But um, Remember when we got our first six? I made a video when we hit 100,000. That's a big deal, too. That was a big deal. And now we're at 3 million. And I know that that's still you know small compared to some. But that's incredible, you guys. Yeah. And that's all because of you. And it I'm is. just, I am overwhelmed with this community and the the amazing outreach that we're seeing and the people that are talking to each other and the people that are sharing their photos of pets and the people that are sending us things and you're just so incredible and you're so smart and you're so interesting and we just love hearing from you and we're so grateful and Anyway, I guess that's enough of that. Yeah, yeah, Sorry. we do. We do love you. You're our freak family, and we look forward to seeing you on Thursday. My face is all hot now. Well, your face is always been hot. Don't be gross. Anyway, until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. So, let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you. And its fate is in your hands. The Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com On Facebook at Facebook.com slash Box of Oddities Podcast. On Twitter at Box of Oddities. And Instagram at Box of Oddities Podcast. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. Have you ever wondered how inbred the Habsburgs really were? What women in the past used for birth control? Or what Queen Victoria's nine children got up to? On the History Tea Time podcast, I profile remarkable queens and LGBTQ plus royals, explore royal family trees, and delve into women's medical history and other fascinating topics. Join me every Tuesday for History Tea Time, wherever fine podcasts are enjoyed. Hello everyone, it's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well... I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be.